you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them, please, to the book of Ephesians, specifically chapter 2? This morning we're going to be looking at verse 11 through verse 22, the end of the chapter. We're in a sermon series through this book of theology and practicality. In Ephesians, you will learn why you believe what you believe. You'll also learn how that should be lived out in our daily lives. Our message is God's building his church. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 22. But for our scripture reading, we'll begin with verse 19. The words of the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. The words of the Apostle Paul writing to Miles Road Baptist Church. Now therefore, you who are no more strangers and foreigners, but are now fellow citizens with the saints, you are now part of the household of God. You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but Jesus Christ himself is the chief and only cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for the habitation of God through the Spirit. Our world, our nation, our society in May of 2019 is one of division, separation, and conflict. And what could be said for our world and our nation and our society also sadly can be said sometimes of our church. The church sometimes can be a place also of division, separation, and conflict. Are you listening to me? You got your ears open. Out there, sometimes in here, there's walls, there's barriers, there's partitions, there's division, there's separation, there's conflict. Because that's the kind of world we live in. You don't have to go far. You don't have to look hard to see what I'm talking about. It's everywhere. And it's not going to get any better. In fact, I believe it's only going to escalate as the closer we come to Jesus. Think about the political divisions we have in this nation that of all that made our government dysfunctional. We have conservatives versus liberals, Republicans versus Democrats, blue versus red. We have racial divisions. We have black versus white, red versus yellow, green Martians versus blue folks from Venus. Say, Pastor, who are you talking about? Well, if you're here, I'm just throwing you in. We have social divisions. The up and inners versus the down and outers. 
We have financial divisions, the haves versus the have-nots, the rich versus the poor. We have sports divisions. We've got some die-hard Gamecock fans in here. And we also have some die-hard Tiger fans in here. We also have some of you that could care less. <laughs> that sounded like most of the ladies. We've got gender divisions. Male versus female versus whatever else is out there. We have age divisions. The young versus the old. The just starting out versus those who are finishing it up. We have religious divisions, the secular humanists versus all religions, and then all religions versus Christianity. We have worship divisions, contemporary versus traditional. And I could go on and on and on. We live in a world, we live in a church where there's walls, there's partitions, there's barriers. Where, there is the, where there's constant separations among people for whatever reasons. And what's true in our day, multiply it by 1,000. And it existed in Paul's day, in the Roman society in which he lived, and in the church that was trying to get off the ground in that day. The primary division. The primary wall, the primary barrier, the primary problem that existed in Paul's day was the Jews versus the Gentiles, the circumcised versus the uncircumcised, the clean versus the unclean. Both of these two groups battled each other with a venomous hatred and hostility in the Roman society that they coexisted in, if you call it that, but also in the fledging church that was trying to get off the ground. The Jews versus the Gentiles. You can understand it perhaps in society, but it was in the church. You know what the Jews call the Gentiles? Snakes. Can you imagine somebody calling you a snake in the grass? A dog. And that word dog wasn't an affectionate pet. It was a mongrel dog that eats trash in the dump. The Jews called the Gentiles scum. They called them all kind of inflammatory names. They forbid the Gentiles to worship God in the temple. Well, let me take that back. They could worship in the temple, but they had to go to the basement. They had to go down to the basement to worship God because they were not equal to the Jews, who when they worshiped God, they went up. The Gentiles had to go to the basement. The Jewish women, the Jewish men, the Jewish leaders... They had different elevations that went up. Also, the Jewish people forbid their young people from marrying Gentiles. In fact, if a Jewish person took a Gentile spouse, 
there was not a wedding reception for them, there was a funeral processional for them. Because the family said, because of this, you are no longer part of this family, you have died. Can you imagine that? But that's how the Jewish people looked at a Gentile. The Jewish people were taught that if you see a Gentile on the side of the road requiring medical care, you just turn your head and walk away. Let them die. Don't mess with them. They're not worth your time, your effort, or your money. And this was just the tip of the iceberg of the attitude and the action of the Jews to the Gentiles. But listen, it wasn't a one-way street, never is. The Gentiles also had names for the Jews. Rebels, thieves, hypocrites, vermin, among many others. And the Gentiles had an expression. The only good Jew is a dead Jew. And that's why the Gentiles that formulated the Roman government did all they could to persecute the Jews, to suppress them, to lessen them as human beings with their laws and with their ways. And as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, the early church is experiencing this contentiousness. The early church is fighting to thrive, even to survive in the face of this blatant prejudice and bias, Jew versus Gentile, Gentile versus Jew. Paul was not a man to mince words. He told it like it is. And what Paul's message to the church of his day was simply this, and it was strong and it was clear and it was oftentimes repeated. The ground at the foot of the cross is equal to all men. And there would be some amens when he said that. But he followed it up with this. The ground at the door of the church is equal for all men too. And there was a strange silence. It's okay to be equal at the foot of the cross, but not at the door of our church. We're a Jewish church. No, we're a Gentile church. And I'm telling you, when Paul is writing what we're about to read and to break down, it caused a riot everywhere he went. This great man of God was broaching a subject that was never broached concerning the church of Jesus Christ and who makes up the church of Jesus Christ and how those who make up the church of Jesus Christ should get along. I'm telling you, what we're about to look at was an atomic blast in that day. No different than some of the Things our nation and church has had to cross in our own walls and barriers and prejudices and biases through the years. Three things I want to lay on your heart real quick. The first is the demolishment of the old. 
There wasn't a church in the Old Testament, but there was a place where the people of God came together and collectively worshipped God. It varied from time to time what that place would be. But there wasn't what we will call an old church. And this old church had to be demolished before God could build a new church. I'm a pretty smart guy. You're going to understand that in just a moment. You're going to say, wow, he's pretty sharp. If we're going to build a brand new sanctuary right here, before we can build that brand new sanctuary right here, we've got to tear down the what? The old sanctuary. Got to demolish before you construct. That's impressive, isn't it? Aren't you glad you came? I've really taught you something. Well, the Old Testament church, God was going to demolish. In fact, he did. Beginning with verse 11 of Ephesians 2. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. He's speaking to the Gentiles. You are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were stranger from the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in this world and the world to come. But all of that's changed, verse 13. For now you are in Christ Jesus. You used to be far off but now you have made, been made near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace, who has made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one, a new man so making peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now, we read that and we go, well, okay. I'm telling you in that day, you could hear the bombs falling. If there was ever an inflammatory statement made, Paul's made it to the church. He's saying, through the Lord Jesus Christ, all saints, be they Jewish or Gentile, be they circumcised or uncircumcised, be clean or unclean, all saints, everyone who's been washed in the blood of Jesus, clothed in the robe of righteousness, all saints are now one in Christ. They're equal in every way. There's no walls, there's no barriers, there's no partitions at the foot of the cross, it's been eliminated. And at the door of the church, it needs to be eliminated. Wow. 
No more aliens. No more strangers. No more roustabouts. No more vagabonds. No more hobos. No more hopeless. No more godless. No more big shots, elitists, and little shots of peasantry. All are one in Christ. All are equal in Christ. All are loved in Christ. All are saved in Christ. All will be together in heaven in Christ. The walls, the barriers, the partitions, the divisions that have kept people apart for hundreds of thousands of years have been torn away. Masters that are Christians and slaves that are Christians are now equal in Christ. Men in Christ and women in Christ are now equal in Christ. Big shots in Christ and little shots in Christ are now equal in Christ. And Jews in Christ. And Gentiles in Christ are now equal in Christ too. The Jesus who brought men to God brings men to men. The Jesus on the cross who vertically established man's peace with God, horizontally established man's peace with his fellow man. Wow. You can't have a cross without having the vertical and the horizontal coming together. In the church of Jesus Christ, we're connected this way and we're connected this way. Wow. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, You are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ, you have been put on Christ. Verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Bond nor free, male or female. For everybody who's in Christ is one. And if you be in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Woo! Heirs to the promise of God. If Paul would have been in the church at Ephesus and spoke this, they would have probably stoned him. The church was trying to understand this thing about equality at the foot of the cross and equality at the door of the church, and they weren't always successful. I want to say something about that today. Because prejudice is very much alive in 2019. It's very much alive out there. And sadly to say, sometimes it's very much alive in the church of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand, we're all prejudiced. Yeah, you. Every single one of us are prejudiced. Every one of us feel very uncomfortable with people that we believe don't look like us, talk like us, 
act like us, have our same color, have our same culture, have our same class, have our same creed, have our same checkbook, have our same countenance. Now, we can grin and bear it sometimes, but that's the truth of the matter. Case in point, a secular school, an Ivy League school, opened their new school year, and the psychology department, one particularly psychology professor, wanted to do an experiment. So the first day that he held class, all the students were seated in desks, just like you are right now looking at me from a pew. They all were basically the same, except for one student that came in just as the bell rang, if you will. The student was polite. He was mannered. He spoke well. He acted himself as a gentleman. But he had a paper bag over his head. A brown paper bag you would put your lunch in was over his head. You couldn't see him. But you could see his eyes because the bag was cut out. You could see his nose so he could breathe. You could see his lips because it was cut out. And he came and he sat in the class. He was polite. He was mannered. He didn't say anything that was unbecoming. He didn't do anything that was unbecoming. He just came and sat there for the class, the 60-minute class. Then he left. Next day he came back. Next day he came back. Next week he came back. Next month he came back. And those students that sat in that class already were making judgments about him. That guy's a nutcase. I wonder who he is. I bet he's a terrorist. You better watch him. I mean, they went to the professor. They said, who is this guy? He can't be in here. We need to get rid of him. And the professor said, well, what's he done? We just don't like him. Because he's not like us. And by the way, there was almost a riot in that class four weeks in before the professor revealed it was a plant to show them how the human mind and human heart is when it comes to people that are different than us. Let's not be too hard on those students that were upset about the guy in the, the brown paper bag over his head because can you imagine what would happen at Miles Road Baptist Church if we had one next Sunday? And he sat next to you. I'd get a call the next day. Pastor, there's some weirdo sitting next to me. Pastor, I believe he's here for sinister purposes. And I believe that Bible he's carrying is just a front. He's got a gun in that Bible. He's going to blow up this place. You see, that's the way we are. We're all prejudiced. We're all biased. Some of us hide it better than others. But I want you to understand something. Prejudice is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. 
bus driver decided that as he was picking up boys and girls to bring them to church, he wanted to integrate the two sides of the bus because up until now, all the white students sat on one side and all the black students sat on the other. And so what he said was, about halfway through the route on this particular day, he said, boys and girls, I got an announcement to make. There's no more black and there's no more white on this bus anymore. Everybody's green. Everybody's green. So I want you to understand that as you're seated. So he went through and picked up a few more boys and girls. And after about 10 minutes of everybody being green, one of the students in the back hollered out as students were getting on the bus. If you're light green over here, if you're dark green over there. <laughs> Prejudice is alive and well. It's a sin problem that's in all of us. And we need to be aware of it. Prejudice will never be eliminated. Till you get a new heart. You can put a band-aid on an old heart, but it's still going to be an old heart. You can change minds, you can change laws, you can change schools, but I'm telling you all the attempts that we make at a human level to take away prejudice are doomed to fail unless you first take out somebody's old heart and put a new one in. If any man be in Christ, he's a what? A new person. He's a new creation. The things of the past, the old mind, the old heart, go away and all things become new. And let me also say this before we move on. Prejudice has no place in God's church. God's church is not about integration. It's about about segregation, it's about integration. It's, about, it's not about building walls and partitions, it's about tearing those walls and partitions down and allowing everybody to come under the tent of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want you to know, no matter what your color is, no matter what country you come from, no matter what your checkbook status is, you got a lot or you got a little. I want you to know no matter how you look, all of that is irrelevant. You will all be loved here. You will all be accepted here. You will all be wanted and needed here. And I hope you feel that way. If you don't, you're hearing it straight from the top. Because that's the way we do Let's move on. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, a demolition has begun. God is tearing down the old church. It was a place of the flesh. It was a place of carnality. It was a place of corruption. It was a place that built walls and barriers, fences, it was a place where prejudice was alive and well. It fostered hatred and hostility. 
God said that church is no more. And then he said in verse 20 and 21, we're going to construct a new church. God is in the business of tearing down the old, demolishing, and building up, constructing the new. Look at verse 20 and 21. And now you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. Okay, we've got a lot of building people in this church. And I know I've already impressed you with the, my knowledge of buildings. How if you're going to build a new building, you've got to tear down the old building. Let me, let me also impress you with this. The foundation's the most important part of a new building. A ten-cent building built on a million-dollar foundation will last a long time. But a million-dollar building built on a ten-cent foundation will not last long before it starts to crack and crumble and eventually collapse. That's why the foundation of the new church is so critical. It could not be Judaism. It could not be the law. Both of those were foundations that proved themselves to be corrupt. This foundation for the new church, where Jew and Gentile would come together and be equal, where whosoever will can come and be part of that church, would have a foundation, and his name would be Jesus. The Jesus Christ will be the foundation of the new church. He will be the chief cornerstone of the new church. The one who's the hero in every book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. I'm telling you, Jesus is the hero. It's all about Jesus. In the Old Testament, he's predicted. In the Gospels, he's revealed. In the book of Acts, he's preached. In the epistles, he's explained. In Revelation, he's expected. The whole Bible's about Jesus. He's the foundation. And on that foundation, this new church will be built with the brick and mortar of the saints themselves. The building blocks of this new church that God is building is God's people. Those who are born again. It is these ones that God puts on the wall. Puts them in the place that he wants them to be on the wall. And gives them a purpose to fulfill on their place in the wall. Called the church. Now you got the picture of it? The foundation is who? Help me out. Jesus. Then the wall's got to go up. The ceiling's got to go up. Who's the wall? Who's the ceilings? We are. We're individual bricks. And God takes those bricks and he puts them in the wall. He puts us exactly where he wants us. He gives us the exact purpose that he wants us to fulfill and the place that he puts us. He wants us to fit tightly. He wants us to be unified. He wants us to be in harmony. He wants to have same mind, same heart of purpose. He wants us to be a team, working together, that we might bring glory to him, but also make a difference out there. 
You see, just one brick is ineffective by itself. Suppose I went to your house and you said, Pastor, I'm the brick house at, at 618 Dodo Street. And so I go to 618 Dodo Street and I see your brick house and there's just one brick there. One brick? Well, that wouldn't be very strong, would it? When you go to a sea of brick house, you expect multiple bricks tied together because there's strength in many. One of the few comic strips I read anymore is on Sunday morning. If you get the Sunday morning paper, the hard copy, there's a peanut section. Now, I, li I like peanuts, Charlie Brown and Lucy and all them. And you might have saw this not too long ago. Linus, y'all know Linus? Lin Linus has got his blanket and he's there watching TV. And Lucy comes barging in. You know, soft-spoken Lucy. <laughs> and she says to Linus, change the channel, I don't want to watch that. And Linus looks at her and says, who gives you the right to come barging in here and telling me to change the channel? And Lucy said, my five fingers do. And when I take these five fingers and I tighten them up, it makes a fist. And then she says something, and I'll paraphrase it, I'm going to put it right upside your head. Because there's strength in numbers. And Linus says, what channel do you want it on? <laughs> you see, there's, there's strength when we all are together. And that's what God intended. In the new church, Jesus is the foundation, and each one of us that are here, we're equals. But we've been placed in the wall, we've been placed on the ceiling, we've been placed wherever God has placed us with a distinctive purpose to fulfill working together. And then lastly, the old church had to be demolished. It had the wrong foundation. It was, ex it was exclusive. It had walls. It had barriers. It had partisanship. It had fences. It was full of carnality and corruption and prejudice and bias. It wasn't a light to the world. It was dark. It wasn't a salt to the earth. It was decay. And God said, through Jesus Christ, I'm changing that. When my son comes, a new church will be built. A church of whosoever will. A church that it won't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile or whatever you might be. A, a church where we could all be sons and daughters of God and work together in unity and harmony and love and acceptance according to the scriptures. And then when that happens... Verse 21 and 22, and I close. Somebody's going to come occupy that building. I wonder who would want to occupy this new church building made up of God's people with the foundation of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 21, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, that's you and I. 
in whom you also are builded together for the habitation of God through his Spirit. The Holy Spirit that indwells us as individuals wants to indwell the church where we worship collectively. The house of God is you and I who claim the name of Jesus. The Spirit of God lives in us. But at the appointed times, we come together. And when we come together, the Spirit of God is going to inhabit all of us collectively as we worship Jesus. How do you know the Spirit of God is in the house? Because you'll see the evidence of it. Sometimes I will eat at the house and leave a mess. I know you you won't think I would do that. And I will be asked about it. And I'll say, how do you know it was me? (laughs) I learned from our kids. They used to do that. How do you know it's me, Dad? The fact that it's just me and Randy there, I mean, but I still ask the question, hoping she might have one of those senior moments and say, yeah, I didn't. But she doesn't. And she'll say, well, here's the evidence. Uh I might have done it. Well, what's the evidence the Spirit of God's in the house? There'll be holiness. There'll be unity. There'll be equality. There'll be harmony. There'll be acceptance. There'll be love. There'll be change. There'll be life. There'll be light. There'll be salvation. There'll be realness. There'll be hope. When the Spirit of God is in the house, there will be transformation. You don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to try to make it in the flesh. When the Spirit of God is in the house of God with the people of God and the foundation is Christ, there will be a transformation that will take place. That's what you'll see. And that's what Paul says. The old church demolished. It was too segregated. The new church will be integrated with whosoever will, who will come. And the new church will have a power the old church never had, the power of God himself who will come and visit. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.